Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller. I partner with our biggest publishers and agencies to bring you the most up-to-date experts and personalities in personal growth, development, and improvement so you can be in the know and growing into your fullest capacity. In this episode, I'm wrapping up my series on Tim Schurer's book, The Secret Society of Success, by discussing the concept of finding your fortune without having to seek attention and fame with Tom Ziegler. Uh, Tim sure spent a decade as COO for author and leader Donald Miller, leading the team outside of the spotlight. And this is our focus again today. We're in a culture where everyone is trying to get attention, to be in the spotlight on stage, to get likes and followers. And for everyone in the spotlight doing those things, there are scores of people supporting the effort. People making lots of money, having lots of fulfillment, and we debate possibly experiencing more joy and peace than the person grinding it out to be up there on stage. Tom Ziegler, interesting story there. He spent a lifetime watching his father, Zig Ziegler, on stage and in the spotlight. He helped support his dad. Then today, or at some point, he switched, and today he is in the spotlight himself. So he's experienced both sides and further, he grew up amongst his dad's peers on stage and got to see the good and the bad of the spotlight and rub shoulders with the thousands of people supporting those people. Uh, so he's a veritable expert again on both sides. And this may be the only podcast series. that's not trying to push everyone to seek the spotlight and the stage and get attention for everything they do. It's honestly not really where the most opportunity is. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast, subscribe, leave a rating and review about this specific episode. And best of all, share something you learned with someone else. It'll help you get more benefit and you'll elevate somebody else's day. You can connect with me always at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Tom Ziegler and I talk about the pros and more so the cons of this cultural fascination with everyone having to be in the spotlight and on stage. Tom, I had Tim Schur on the show with this, around this, this book, The Secret Society of Success, Stop Chasing the Spotlight and Learn to Enjoy Your Work and Life Again, because it is so counter in some ways to the environment you and I live in, uh, which is a, we primarily give, and I just hadn't thought about it. We give focus to the concept, the expectation that we and everybody listening is going that direction, that they're looking for their platform. They're looking for their spotlight. They're looking for their, their book, their opportunity to speak on stage their you know, whatever, that they're going that direction. And here's Tim who's been in that same realm as we are, but him saying, not even questioning, but saying there's a lot of opportunity and not being the one in the spotlight and on stage. And I think it just brought my perspective to, we don't give a, I don't give a whole lot of attention that direction. That's why we had him on the show. And I wanted to talk to you about it. You spent a lifetime, literally amongst celebrities from your dad, Zig Ziglar to you name the who's who of personal development, self-help, even entertainment industry. I mean, you kind of see, you've been amongst them all. You've seen those people. You've also been privy to the behind the scenes of their lives, to their teams that support them, their families that support them. And you have been that team and family that supported someone in the spotlight and then become the person in the spotlight. So you may be the most qualified person on planet earth to talk about this, Tom Ziegler. And I, I want to play with it and maybe even just to start there that, yeah, your, your thoughts on, we do. I feel like we spend a lot of time with that kind of expectation that we're all headed towards a spotlight. And I'm, I'm Tim gave me cause, uh, cause to pause. How's that? What do you That's think? That's good. Okay. Um, yeah, just your so, yeah, thoughts on is, that. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. Um, and I've spent a lot of head time recently just digging into leadership mm -hmm. and what makes a great leader. And I think people have confused leadership and the 
and spotlight. That's a great point. Perfect. Yeah, you, you do by proxy. A leader is the one leading, not following or supporting. Okay, go from there. And so, uh, you know, with all the consternation we have with leadership, and it doesn't matter if you're left, you're frustrated with the right. And if you're right, you're frustrated with the left. And if you work at a large company, you might be frustrated with any number of leaders in that company. Um, and, and if you are on social media at all, you know that the whole world today is about influencers and an influencer is nothing more than someone who's figured out how to stay in the spotlight. And then they become influencers recommending stuff. Mm -hmm. So what I don't get is how can somebody who's naturally beautiful <laughs> become an expert on recommending cosmetics to other people other than they're an influencer. I mean, did they go to medical school and get a degree? Are they an expert on, you know, how skin works and, you know, what's the best, all that stuff. But yet they sought the spotlight. They developed the talent for convincing arguments and their whole life revolves around how much platform stage spotlight time can I get, but are they more qualified than a doctor with acne who has spent their whole life trying to figure out and they're kind of reserved and they don't, right. They don't, they don't like the spotlight. Um, and so going back to this leadership thing. So here I'll ask you, Kevin, and I know your answer. Um, I think most people would say that in a leader, one of the key attributes we want in a leader is we want, we want them to have wisdom so on a scale of one to 10, how important is wisdom for a leader to have? Well, my first gut reaction is to say at 10, uh, that a, a leader needs ding, 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 ding. Of course I can then go, you know, they need compassion and they need nurturing, whatever, but then wisdom. I mean, how do you lead without that? Even if I'm looking for a guide to take me <laughs> in the woods, it's based on their wisdom to take me at a more effective or safer way than I would be able to do on my own based upon their wisdom. Yeah. I, I mean, what I want is I want a brave and courageous leader without any wisdom. I mean, you know, nobody's going to, nobody's going to, that's true. I want a kind and compassionate wisdom or a leader without wisdom. No, we want wisdom, right? That's what we want. And here's a, here's a saying I've come up with. It's a, it's a little quote. Humility is the taproot of wisdom. Humility is the taproot of wisdom. I thought about Kevin, I okay. thought about saying, you know, humility is the root of wisdom, but I started studying root and I found taproot and taproot, it goes straight for the water, right? The taproot is the main root. It goes down. It's like, it's going for the water. So in a, in a leadership or spiritual sense, man, it's, it's going for the truth. It, it's the living water, right? It's going for the love. It's going for the truth. And the tap root then springs a bunch of other roots off of it. So wisdom grows congruent and in parallel and as a result of the amount of humility somebody has. Because hmm. humility says, I don't know it all. I might need some help. I should consider that. Right? That's what humility says. But yet in our society, we admire and elevate and respect the spotlight. And humility is not something that gets you on the podium. Yeah. People don't elbow their way. Humble people do not elbow their way into the spotlight. What can we let's play with have, can we play with wisdom for a second, Tom? Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it it's a word that bothers me honestly, and how we use it. Um, because it comes off like Yoda, right. Or Gandalf or, or whatever. And it's this near godlike quality 
that feels arrogant to claim in the way that we reference it. But as you're talking about it in a leader, so I literally looked at, so I'm looking at, you know, the first thing that pops up on Google. Okay. On wisdom, it says the quality of having experience, comma, knowledge, comma, and good judgment. That's the quality of being wise. Now you're adding in, you know, humility, which the word that literally what you said is the humility to know, to know, I don't know it all, which I think good old Yoda would say, ah, young Padawan or whatever he says, that is wisdom is that's there's a taproot of wisdom is, is humility and knowing you don't know it all. If you feel like you do, you do not have wisdom, but just to come back there, you know, if I'm looking to thinking about a guide, I mean, of course experience. So I have experience mountain biking. So I can take you mountain biking. I have experience. So I have some level of wisdom. Do I have knowledge? That's actually questionable. I've done it a lot, tons of experience, but I have not studied mountain biking. I have not studied how to take a corner fast, how to uh, go over rocks, you know, well, like people do around here. They have to learn how to do that. I've been doing this since I was a kid. I just know how to do it. So is my knowledge there? I'm not knowledgeable about mountain bikes. I have mechanics. I always have. I had team mechanics back in the day. And now I take my, I don't work on bikes. I, there's a, I, my knowledge is not super high. So if we take wisdom and put into a pie chart, I got tons of experience, tons. So I got some wisdom. Knowledge is really limited according to my experience. And then do I have good judgment? I do for my abilities. I don't know that I do for your abilities, but I would say I'm, I'm on there either way though. If we're taking that pie chart of wisdom from leadership to say, if you've got experience, you've got some, maybe it's just a different difference of saying, uh, kind of like talking with Stephen Kotler about flow and talking about, we were talking about mastery and having mastery in an area and somebody questioned, wait, having full out mastery. That's kind of hard. Okay. Wait, wait, let's say you have a level of mastery. So let's say as a leader, you need to have some level of wisdom. Is that fair? You may not be all wise. You're not going to be all wise, but you need some level that's going to include experience, knowledge, and good judgment and some there. And now you're saying humility as well to be a good leader that we're okay. Go from there. That's curious. Yeah. And so what I'm really, what I'm really building on is that, um, I believe it's impossible to have true wisdom that's not founded and sprung from humility. Think about the opposite of humility. Okay. Pride, arrogance. Right, right. Right. I know it all. Hey, you can't tell me anything. I'm right. Why should I listen to you? Right. As they say, as they crash and fall and burn. Yeah. So I think Confucius said that humility is the foundation from which other, all other virtues spring forth or something like that. It's like, it's like that, that ultimate thing. And so, you know, knowledge, um, it's, you know, the accumulation of facts and data, information, even experience, that all equals knowledge. And then what people say, I heard a definition of wisdom is wisdom is getting rid of the knowledge that doesn't make any sense. Uh, another definition of wisdom is it's the, it's the proper application of knowledge, right? It's, it's, it's good judgment. It's knowing how to, to use. And then I, I would add in, uh, there's got to be a moral, ethical underpinning of that knowledge yeah. um, in order for it to grow into wisdom. When you look at a culture and you said, okay, what, what culture had the highest aggregate academically knowledgeable foundation of any in the last hundred years? And I read this 20 years ago, so it might, it might have been, but it was uh, 1930s Germany hmm. had the greatest academic knowledge as a, as a people group. And the Holocaust comes out of that, right? So we know that knowledge and wisdom and morals don't go hand in hand in hand, right? So Humility basically is the taproot of wisdom. And so here's the litmus test. Um, gosh, when, when you're thinking, should I follow that leader? Just ask yourself, how humble are they? Yeah. How willing are they to look at the other side? How willing are they 
to seek wise counsel and not from a bunch of yes, yes people. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, because if you say, well, I like this leader and they don't uh, have a lot of humility, then what you're really saying is I like this leader and I don't care if they don't have any wisdom because we don't need wisdom right now because that always works out. You know, I mean, Hey, and, and we see that all the time because, you know, we, we have people who, who, who believe wholeheartedly in an ideology to, so that if any wisdom comes along, the wisdom can't be true. If it goes against the ideology, well, here's a hint. The older the wisdom saying is, the more likely it's true. Yeah. Right. And so this whole thing on the spotlight, um, there's a couple of things that I really love about what he's saying. And that is, first off, um, everybody's built different. They've got different gifts and talents. And some people thrive and do their best when they can put everything into a mission, a cause, a, a, a purpose that might be somebody else's brainchild. They just, they love amplifying it. And, and that's who I was. You were, you were mentioning um, my career. So the first 25 years of what I did at the company, it was all about supporting Zig Ziglar. It was about helping to create the platform and the spotlight so he could go out and do what he did best, right? Yeah. That was his gift and his talent, the, the spotlight. Uh, but at the same time, dad's effectiveness on the, in the spotlight and on the stage came out of humility and what I call the deepest level of humility, which is brokenness, which meant that he knew he couldn't do anything of any eternal significance without God's help, right? right. So he, when he took the spotlight, when he got on the stage, he was like there to 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 speak God's truth and love to, to honor something higher than him. And so when people came to him and said, Hey, why did you say this or that? Very rarely did that happen. So, but when they did, his first question was, okay, who are they? What's their, what's their credibility? And I know I can remember numerous occasions where he tweaked and changed his messaging and what he said and how he said it based on wise counsel that was coming to him. And so I served that role. I didn't want to be on stage. I never thought I would be a speaker. And then all of a sudden the day came where I started speaking and wow, what a stretch. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and I still think about it and I go, okay, you know, do I like it? Yeah. Do I, do I love a great response? Absolutely. But it's still not my, my greatest joy. My greatest joy is one of our Ziegler Legacy Certified Speakers or Trainers or one of our Ziegler Coaches or one of our Ziegler Coach Leader Coaches when they have an, 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 uh, the opportunity to impact somebody in their life or, or one of their customers and they go out and they and they teach the Ziegler philosophy and they help somebody through a challenge using wh what we've uh, equipped them to go do. I get more joy out of that. And in fact, when I go out and speak, my, my goal is to, is, to, is to make people who have that on their heart want to join so that I can help them go out and spread the message. I would much rather see that. I, I do the the Snoopy dance when, when somebody else goes out and takes what we do. That's interesting, Tom, because Tim and I talked about sometimes when let's say that you don't want the spotlight, kind of the converse of his message, you don't really want that, but it's necessary for something that you want to see happen. And you, you know, so you, I see you speaking to that. So you do that doesn't mean that it is your greatest you know, joy, but you talking about Ziegler and doing that, man, how many famous people that you guys have been involved with, not even famous, every, anybody involved with Zig Ziegler and Ziegler Corporation, how many of them know the name Lori Majors? I mean, she's been supporting Ziegler for how long now? 
Wow. 40, 45 years, 45 years. She was dad's assistant for 30, 34 years. Yeah. I, I feel so honored years, to yeah. interact with her now, you know, with, with Ziegler and to see what she's, and she built a life around not being in the spotlight. I, I don't know if you know, Tom, we've had people ask, could we get her on the show? And I think I mentioned it to her once and she's like, I don't want to do that. She's not, look, she's not looking for the spotlight. We've had, uh, we've had executives call us and say, Hey, uh, I've got a new executive assistant. They're fantastic. You know, can we get Lori to mentor them? Wow. And she's and Lori's yeah. like, I'll talk to him, but I'm not going there. Right. Because she, 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 she sees that, that role. Well, and she's written about in the books and, and whatnot. And she has done that. Who would Zig Ziglar have been? Who would you be? Who would Ziglar be without Lori Majors? I mean, talk about a God ordained, you know, position that she's fulfilled. And you had to look at that and go, do we all need to be going towards the spotlight? And something you said though, Tom, earlier, as you, when you first brought up leaders, in regards to influencers that, yeah, we have gotten to a point now. It's really, I think it's really important for us to bring out here to where we mistakenly make influencers leaders or think that they are. And I'm thinking about some of the biggest names out there. And I, I, this, I don't think this is unfair. I don't know Joe Rogan. I do not know the man. I don't listen to his show a whole lot. I study him some because he's got the top podcast on planet earth. And I happen to be a professional podcaster. So I, I look at that. I th he seems to me like a really smart, intelligent guy and, and whatnot. Massive influencer. One of the biggest on planet earth, arguably right now, I'm literally top of the list of influencer, but is he a leader? Do people look to him for life guidance? Is he humble? Is he, is he wise in the, you know, in that sense and how we unpacked it? I don't know. And I'm not going to say he's not those things, but I'm not under the impression that he's looked to for those, but the power he wields because he has influence. And as you talked about, if you're a celebrity, if you're drop dead, beautiful, if you're super strong, if you're fast or whatever, you get attention, you then have influence. And then a company will come along and say, Hey, will you promote X, Y, Z for us? And I got it, you know, in all candor here, here I am too. How much, how much leadership, how much, how much of a leader am I? I do have influence. And because of that I have advertisers come that want me to promote X, Y, Z. That does not by proxy mean I'm wise and that I am a leader. And yeah, we've, we've done that. So back over here to think that as a leader, we need to then have influence and be in the spotlight is seems like a disconnect is, is what you're pulling out there. And then can we be a leader without being in the spotlight and on stage. And I think we've just missed that. I think that's what Tim book, his message is pulling out. Yeah. You know, it, and on the, and I just, I just keep going back to the, the national political scene we have in the U S and that is the people who seem to have the pulpit on the left or the right you know, one of their common characteristics is they just don't have any humility. And, and you can see it because they are unwilling to even consider a different opinion from the other side. Right. And, but when I look at my friends and the people I know and, and, you know, we attract kind of what we are. And so I'm not saying that I'm not surrounded by predominantly a little bit more conservative people. I am. But even when I speak and travel and I'm hanging out with everybody, most people in the middle seem to have a lot more humility than, than quote unquote, the people in the spotlight on both sides. And then the challenge is when we said it, I said it earlier, is that, gosh, the people in the middle who have humility and have a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of experience and, you know, can kind of see both sides and realize that maybe both sides have legitimate things that we need to figure out. They don't elbow their way on the stage. Well, you're pointing out another problem though, Tom, can I, can I offer that? This is something that I struggle with. I was recently had a conversation. I think it was with Randy and just what you said, the people in the pulpit, the people that are out there. So when I look at the wisest people on any of these issues, I find Tom, like what you say, 
they're in the middle and they're humble. And they're saying, man, is with everything I can figure out, with all of our research, all our billions, all our whatever, we're siding here. But man, there's a, there's, there's a lot to be humble about. There's not, it's not perfect certainty, 100%. And that's what we find when we go to the absolute, I feel like, wisest leaders invested in those fields. And yet, what do, who do we hear from? Just what you said. We hear from the pulpits. And those are people whose primary responsibility I see is to just fight for their side, not for the truth. So that's what we hear about. So we go into the media, we're hearing people who are highly paid and skilled to fight for their side. It's like lawyers. This is so unpolitically correct, but how it may not be. I don't don't even know if I could say that. We, We watch the movie. Is it about justice or is it about winning the fight? I don't want to offend anybody there. It's, 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 it's a broad brush. But man, there's validity out in there in the media. We're, we're hearing from people who are being paid to fight and have an ego to fight. And like you said, have certainty. And when we find the people who are really in the know, it doesn't exist. Yeah, I was looking in the antonym and synonym mm-hmm. category for words around leader. And so to describe the far left and the far right leaders, I, I call them our toddler taskmasters. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and so it's like a toddler. It's it's yeah. like negotiating with the toddler. And because they're so sure that theirs is the only way and they're a hundred percent right. Uh and they don't even and I remember the day, um, you know, gosh, it's I don't know, maybe it's decades ago now when when both sides of uh, in politics, when both sides would really have to hash out an issue. And and they um, and they came to a middle ground and they agreed they would come to the they would both have the press conferences and both sides would say the same thing. Wow, I'm so proud that we came to this agreement. Um, and I just want to give the other side credit because they didn't they gave in and didn't get everything they wanted and they negotiated toughly and fairly. And I know that we have things we didn't get and they have things they didn't get, but I think this is a a right step forward. Now what happens is something gets negotiated and both sides, their press conferences, the other side's an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Which zero, zero sum, a zero sum game. Right. Yeah. And, and so uh, to the point of the, of the spotlight, so and so both sides are vying for the spotlight again rather than what's best. And that's an interesting thing. And and so we'll humble somebody who's a little bit more, well, I don't need the spotlight. Uh, hey, I, w- I want you to pat yourself on the back. Um, maybe part of it is, you, you know, you have some opinions, but you'd much rather be asked then elbow your way up because of humility. This right? is, and then this, go ahead. And this is where it gets tough because there comes a point where you're now in a position of experience, of leadership, of wisdom to where somebody's got to say what's got to be said, and it might just have to be you. And so you're going to have to, stand up and say, Hey, you know, what's going, but you say it with love and kindness and respect and and everything else, just like a person like that would, and you're going to get the spotlight, which you didn't seek. And so I've noticed this, uh, if you look at speakers and I'm just talking about the speaking industry who were rock stars for three or four or five years, and then they disappear. What happened is they started believing their press clippings. Oh, and arrogance took over and they were there for them and not for the room. And that right there, that feels like it sums up. We're talking about the spirit and this aspect of, I want to be an influencer. And Tim talked about that, that the average kid these days, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so often I want to be a YouTube star, which you can gain by influence. They're talking about popularity. We're at the high school popularity contest and that's what influences. And we're mixing up with leadership as opposed to, coming over here in whatever role that you're in saying, what do you care about? What do you want to be a part of? What is your best role? And then gauging whether or not the spotlight of the stage is relevant for you, or do you want to be a part of 
as you said, say, man, this is what I care about, but my role is not, I don't want to do the influencer. I don't want to, I don't want to go out there and be in the spotlight in this stage, but I want to support something. And somebody at some point does have to, just like we talked about, somebody does have to stand up and sell something and, and communicate with people to offer anything of good. But does that have to be you? And again, that's why, that's why it drew me to this, this topic, because I feel like we have gotten caught up with, and that's why Tim wrote the book in that we all have to look at the spotlight. And one of the things that came up, Tom, that I wanted to ask you about, because again, you have so much experience with people. And again, this, there's, there's a lot of sensitivity around this, what I'm going to ask, because we don't want to um, be disrespectful to anyone. But there are people on stage, people on the spotlight for every one of them. There's however many people supporting them. And I have often questioned the success of the person in the spotlight, the costs that it took to get there, the joy I may not see in some of those people and wonder, is that really success? Is that the best way to success? Is that where we see statistically the most success from a whole a holistic standpoint. Are they at peace? Are they joyful or are they burning the candle at both ends, stressed out and anxious, you know? And meanwhile, we have people under here supporting. And I sometimes think it looks more peaceful down there. I shouldn't even say that. Look at that. There's my own bias down there. How about if I say beside there, beside the spotlight around the spot on top of the spotlight, the people around, is there more there? And I, I'm sure you've seen both sides. You've seen some people in the spotlight who are just in their glory, like your dad, like Zig Ziglar. What a gift. And you've seen some, and the fruit was not that great. You know, dad, um, we'll just call him a ninja in a lot of different areas. I love that word ninja. Yeah. Uh, but one of his ninja superpowers was he never worried and so how did that happen? Um, first, he got clarity on what success meant. And his definition of success was, was simply the maximum utilization of the abilities that God gave you. Right? So we're not comparing our success to anybody else. And then he said, okay, so that's what success looks like. But what does God say about the things that are important? My spiritual life, my physical health, my family, my relationships, how I do business. And he said, okay, that's the standard, right? And so what he did is he committed every day to pursue that standard and maximize the gifts and talents that God gave him. And then that element of brokenness came in and he came to this undeniable, resolute belief that there's nothing he could do of eternal significance without God's help. And so what did that mean? That meant that when he got on stage, his only job was to speak God's truth in love. That was it. And then that made him a ninja because once he adopted that, he never had to worry. Mm-hmm. And basically what that meant was, is that when you speak God's truth and love to someone, you no longer have any responsibility for how that person receives that. It's gone. You can let it go. And so the challenge with people who are miserable is they don't have the right definition of success and they think they're in a popularity contest. Yeah. And so they worry about everything. And then they make sacrifices that have all these dominoes and they destroy their health. They destroy their relationships. They think they're supposed to be big and tough and bold and, and, and domineering because that's what leaders are. And they fracture relationships. And as long as, you know, the press is good and, and they're making the, the audience applaud, everything's good except for they're miserable. <laughs> And then one day their arrogance gets the best of them and people are like, wait a second, that message doesn't sound good anymore. And you were never really a good person anyway. See you later. 
right? And so we see that all the time. And so dads, and I haven't mastered, I haven't mastered, how do you, how do you not worry? Hmm. Right. And, and it's really just focused on what you, what, you know, you control the controllables and everything else you give to God. And so the biggest controllable that, that you have is you and what you do and what you say. And so if you focus on that and you live up to those standards, then you've got a life you could walk out on. And then sometimes you get called into the spotlight, mm-hmm. right? For such a time as this, some people are called. They, they didn't set out to be called. They just stood out and people started calling them. Yeah. Right. But don't, don't change who you are. Don't change the way you, the way you communicate and, you know, you get better at it. You perfect your skills, right. You the maximum utilization, but the core values, the principles and things like that, that, that allowed you to be called out. How did you see your dad Zig Ziglar balance? Cause this came up in my conversation with Tim. He was doing what he felt he was called to do literally as unto God. So he's writing books, he's giving messages, he's, he's wanting to do what he has to do. He also realized that business is business. I'm assuming, you can correct me, business is business, there is a marketplace, there are things that can help and hurt a business, uh, even on the popularity side, I mean, it, it helps to get it helps to get accolades. It helps to get some credit for things and, and it helps spread the message and helps him sell more books and bless more people. But there's that, it seems like we tend to have, you know, on one side, the popularity contest, we see somebody going after that. It's all about them. Just like you talked about, they're in the spotlight for a little while and they fade out and burn out and whatever. And they weren't in it for the right reasons. Now we also have a lot of people over here and I'm sure you see them every day involved with Ziegler, people who want to help other people. And yet they kind of eschew the, they want to reject all that popularity contest stuff, all that marketing and advertising and social media stuff. And I don't want to go cater to that and try to be popular, whatever. I'm just going to do what I do as unto God and let that be enough. And we see some of those people and they don't step into the marketplace and they don't get the opportunity to serve people because it is a marketplace where we do have to sell ourselves and give some exposure. And so it feels like a tension that a lot of people tend to fall on one side or the other. And I don't see a whole, I don't see the majority finding health in the middle of being authentic to them and rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's in the marketplace. Yeah. And I think what's, what you're seeing there is the fruit of limiting beliefs. And I'll, okay. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you, um, the way a, a vast majority of the people view the world and the way it, I believe it should be viewed. So, um, Dweck talks about the growth mindset. Yep. And most people, and I don't know what the percentages are, but, uh, but, and not everybody is completely this way. Okay. So, uh, I'll just, I'll just give you as an, an example. So as an athlete, you might not have any, um, fixed mindset because you had so much experience of, you know what, I bet I could learn how to get a little faster and it's happened over and over and over and over again. And so in that area of your life, you were like all growth mindset, right? <laughs> You're like, well, why couldn't I get on a, you know, an oxygen inhibitor and train with, um, you know, restricted muscles and all these things to increase, increase my capacity. And so you've got a total growth mindset in that area. Well, then think about um, your, your home, you know, doing, doing the taxes every year. You're like, man, I'm never, I'm not good at that. And I'll never be good at that. <laughs> well, yeah. that's a, so in that example, you're a fixed mindset in that example. Um, and so then you got to ask yourself, okay, what, are, what are, what are the gifts and talents that God gave me? Cause my, my success is the maximum utilization of the gifts and talents that God gave me. 
And so now you're in a position where, hey, you know what? If I can put um, more time into my gifts and talents and pay somebody to do my taxes, right? that's going to take me to where I want to go. And that's the proper approach. And so you, 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 instead of a fixed mindset where I'm going to do my taxes and it's going to be terrible because I'm not very good at it and I might end up with a penalty, I might do it wrong, uh, but I'm always going to be terrible. A growth mindset is, yeah, I could learn to do that, but that's not the greatest use of my gifts and talents. So I'm going to pay somebody to do that. And so when I come over to uh, the question you posed, where people are like, well, this is what I'm good at. This is all I want to focus on. And all that marketing, all that sales, all that stuff, I'm not good at it anyway. Just because you're not good at it doesn't get you off the hook. Thank you. Yes. It doesn't get you off the hook. You need to change that limiting belief of you're always going to suffer in that area of your life to, you know what? I'm going to get good at it enough to find somebody I trust so I can outsource as much of that responsibility to somebody else. Yeah. Uh, I read a book to, on strategic uh, investing and planning. And, you know, one of the things that uh, Dave Ramsey talks about is never invest in anything you don't understand. And so I think that's where we open ourselves up to where we have a growth mindset to where, you know, we there's 50 things in life that we probably should do every day, every week, every month, once a year, right? And some of them were really good natural in, and some of them were okay in, and some of them were pretty bad at. And the ones that were pretty bad at, we need to dig in enough to understand what it is so we can figure out who the best person to go do it is. So that when they come to us and say, do you want A or B, we can answer them because we figured it out enough. Do we have to do the work now? And so for those who, uh, if your calling is to be a life-changing coach, but you're not any good at marketing, that doesn't take you off the hook. What you've got to figure out is how do you find that ground where you find somebody who's fantastic at marketing, you understand it, you equip them to go do it so they can set you up in the sweet spot to impact more people. You know, as you're talking about that, Tom, I'm thinking about how I have not, I don't want to use the word inappropriately, but misguidedly led people to the spotlight because that's my perspective. Uh, we had here, uh, in the, my office is in a medical clinic and we had a nutritionist that she's just unbelievable. And she works here as an employee of the practice, making X amount or whatnot. And we, at one point went through a model in the practice to where she only worked with people who were part of this program. And then we kept getting requests over here for people not in the program, but they wanted to work with her. And of course, what am I doing, man, let's set you up, get your website, get you taking payments, whatever. You'll make more money. You can serve these people. She, in all an easy, peaceful response, she says, I just am not interested. I'm doing what I want. I like that I don't have to deal with appointments and money and whatnot. Yeah, but you could make more money. She's, I did, I'm, I'm good. She was so at peace and it was hard for me to, to take because I'm thinking it just could grow and get bigger and whatnot. And she knew, I think going back to what you said and what really this calls everybody to, what is your calling? And I know that call, that word calling has a spiritual context for a lot of people. And depending on where you're at, you know, what do you feel called to do? What is the desire of your heart, whether it's spiritual or not? And then what are your propensities? And I'm thinking, you know, back to, we talk about these a lot. I mean, we have some good tools to use a disc profile. Anybody can go do that right online right now today. Matter of fact, 48days.com. That's my dad. He sells more of those things than about anybody. You can get a disc profile. You can do uh, the Enneagram is a great one. We had Jonathan Sparks probably a year ago on the show, and he has his test or, or, or profile, Spark Type. It's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E.com. You go there. I think it's free. And it tells you what is it that sparks you regarding your work. Now, none of those are going to tell you exactly what you should do. If you should get on stage, the spark type, which I really like shows me as a, um, a maker. I like a blank sheet of paper and to go make something 
Does that mean I need to be on stage? No, I could go make something and have somebody else with a stage, sell it or offer it or whatnot. So it's not going to put all the pieces together, but it should show you some of the propensities of what is that thing that lights you up? What is that calling? And then what is the best way to walk it out? Is it the spotlight? Now, again, somebody's somebody for every product or service out there, there is a spotlight. I can't think of anything that doesn't fit that Tom, uh, even a nonprofit. I mean, somebody somewhere has to know what you're offering in order to partake it, partake of it. So if it's got to be sold, it's got to be exposed, communicated in some way. Is that your job? It, it does tend to be mine, Tom. I tend to be one who is, I want to communicate something of value and I want to do that, whether it's somebody else's or my own. So it does fit me. Man, I, I've got, I'd say the majority of my kids are not that. I've got a couple who are like that. The others, that's nothing, nothing about that relates Just like I've got, a, I don't have a whole passel of kids who are athletes. Like I have been in my entire life. I love it. They're not. That's great. I'm grateful that they're self-aware enough, but it's calling us into an audit of what do I, what am I called to do? What do I want to do? What do I care about? Then what role and the errancy of all of us thinking that we need to be in the spotlight. It's no different than, you know, all the kids in school back when I was a kid and the boys all want to be pro athletes. Dude, your chances of becoming a pro athlete. Well, I was a pro athlete. Let's say a high paid pro athlete, which I wasn't are really slim. <laughs> There's not, not a whole lot of rich cyclists, especially in America. It was the wrong sport, but, um, I was really slim. And for every one of those, how many people had success in academia, in the corporate world, in business and, and whatnot so it's dramatically more. And again, brings us back to this questionable concern, even for the people that are listening to this. And, and, and again, I'm admitting we speak a lot to the spotlight and to the stage and support people who want to go there. And we will continue to do that, but also call people. I think I will be more to saying, okay, let's just, is that really the best place you want to be? Do you want to be on the stage or do you want to help support Tom Ziegler or somebody else who's on the stage fulfilling what you want or what you care about in the role that does give you it sparks you to Jonathan uh, sparks or, or, or uh, interests you. Yeah. And I keep, I just keep ruminating, you know, what's, what keeps people out of the spotlight? Um, could be no desire to be in the spotlight. You prefer uh, the support position, which is fantastic. Um, we talked about limiting belief. Yeah. I can't do that. That's not my skill set. Um, and there's, there's another one that's a big one. And this is something that, uh, was a game changer in dad's career. And that was fear of rejection. He, right. he thought that when people said no, they were saying no to him. And so that's a self image. That's, that's a, uh, instead of, 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 unconditional love where, Hey, I have value because of who I am. Yeah. It's a conditional response that says I have value because of what I do. And, and if people accept me. And so when, when dad got to that point in his life where, you know what, I'm, uh, I have, I have value because God gave me the value and I'm going to share the God's truth and love. And then it's up to you. It, it does says nothing about me, whether you stand and applaud or not. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's, so I think some people resist the spotlight because what if I'm rejected? What if people, and then, then the imposter syndrome pops up, Hey, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do they get the stage? And I'm, and I, I look around at the people who are on the stages today and I ask like, how did they get the stage? I know, I know so many people yeah. who are, who are, or, well, that's a great question. So here's a, I read a coaching question last week. That's really, uh, this is a great self coaching question to do. Um, because usually we ask people in coaching, we'll say, you know, what's the future you see? What do you want to create? Who do you want to become? 
what would life be like if if everything was possible and time and money wasn't a, an issue? So people start creating what they want. And then we ask them, okay, what's holding you back? Right, that's the typical question. So uh, here's a new question. Instead of saying, what's holding you back? Ask yourself this question. What are you comfortable with in your life right now that you should be uncomfortable with? Hmm. Okay. And that is an ownership question. That's hard. What are you, what are you comfortable with? Like what, you know, in a house, the metaphor of, you know, you're going to have guests over and there's always one or two rooms. The doors are closed. Don't go in there. (laughs) It's dirty. So this is one of those doors. So another way to look at it is, um, what are you settling for in your life that you shouldn't be settling for? Yeah. What are you comfortable with that you really should be uncomfortable with? Hmm. And, and so for those who are resisting the spotlight, um, when you get clarity on your purpose and your why, and you understand that um, when you speak the truth and love and when the spotlight opportunity is given, there's no problem with stepping stepping into it. Yeah. Um, but still, even to this day, I would, I would rather put on an event and have people who've um, been a part of the growth of our group take the spotlight. I'd, I'd rather that happen. But at the same time, also know that they're all looking for uh, that encouragement, that inspiration, that what's next right? They're wanting to be fed too. And so that's, that's where I feel good about taking the spotlight. But my hope is, is that they all do much better than me. Yeah. 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 Tom, you're, you're, you're mentioning a fear of rejection. Um, I have had some experiences, I think myself, and then with some other folks of people who just as much fear the applause handling the applause, how that feels, how it may not feel well. And that's a, that's a reason why I tried uh, for a long time. I, I rejected being in the spotlight. I didn't want to deal with my own ego within it. Uh, and I, I have some dear friends who are in the same place and I can easily look at them and go, dude, sorry, tough. You deal with your ego. You got to get that message out. It's easy for me to say, but for ourselves, it takes a lot takes a lot, man. A great topic, Tom. And I, I, I was really looking forward to talking with you on that because I know you've had, had experience in and around it yourself and with other people. But I think, uh, yeah, you open up some new doors of this conversation. That's why we're doing it. I should tell Tim to take a listen to it. He'll learn more about his own topic. Um, <laughs> brother, thank you. Always a gift to walk with you. All right, friends, if you want to dig deeper into this issue on seeking the spotlight or not, Check out Tim Schur's new book, The Secret Society of Success. And thank you, as always, for choosing to tune in to the Self-Helpful Podcast. If you got value, leave a rating or a review about this specific episode, if you would. Let people know what you learned so you can learn it more. And I sincerely hope I've helped you today. Help yourself 